Hey there, this is Michael Burris. I'm the lead pastor of Summit View Church in Irving, Kentucky, and this is our podcast. I hope this podcast encourages you, I hope it inspires you, and I hope it helps you to start seeing your life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Now enjoy the message. Well, welcome to Easter Sunday, everybody. Uh, Today, Christians are celebrating what we call Resurrection Sunday because this is the day that we celebrate Jesus being risen from the grave and becoming our Savior for all time. Now, some of you may know about Jesus. You might have a relationship with him. You may... Some of you may know absolutely nothing about the guy. Maybe you've heard him in passing or or something. You might not know anything about him. So this morning, I want to start off. I want to tell you a little bit about Jesus this morning and just make sure that we all really understand why this guy named Jesus is so significant to Christianity. Uh, I, I call this kind of, let's put the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can get one. Like I like the food references, and I'm short, so it works for me. I just love the cookies. Uh, I want to explain it so well that it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or been in church. Maybe you don't have any experience. I want to explain it in a way to where everyone here might understand truly who Jesus is before you walk out of here. So Jesus, the Jesus that we're talking about was not your server last week at La Cabana or whatever. Like this is a different guy. Um, that was just not, that fell flat. Okay, don't do that one. Uh, boo. So Jesus that we're talking about was an actual person. He was historically proven by many historians and many writings and many documents that he actually lived. And he's actually one of the most historically proven figures of all time before but before he ever walked on the earth, he, he actually existed before that. Um, the Bible says that Jesus existed before the foundations of the world. So before creation was created, Jesus existed. And he was God. And, and he was actually one of the three beings that we call God or the Godhead. He was one of the, he was, uh, we have the Father, Jesus the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. All three of these are separate beings that exist and they function together in different aspects, all together as God. And so Jesus existed before time, but there, there, was, a, there was a time that in order to fix everything that mankind messed up, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, Jesus actually came to the earth as a person that he chose to uh, be born as a baby, that God chose to be born as a baby, to grow up as a normal person, and then to walk this earth as part man and part God. And he lived a perfect life while he did it. That means that, that you can't say this about anybody else in all of creation, that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. That means he never had bad thoughts about people. He never did things for selfish gain. He never threw up the one-finger salute when someone else's donkey cut off his donkey in the road. Side note, please be kind in our parking lot as you're leaving today. No cussing each other. We had enough of that yesterday. Save that till you get to the Shell Mart at least, okay? Just save it till the Shell Mart. But Jesus lived a perfect life. He lived, he lived a life that when he was 30 years old, he dedicated the rest of his life to serving the needs of the world around him. 
But even more than that, Jesus went around teaching people about what the kingdom of God really meant for their lives and what God was actually about. You know, people had messed it all up. They had bad ideas about the character of God. They, they, had, they thought that their religion was all about rule keeping and living life, that like they were perfect. Actually, that still sounds a lot like today. <laughs> that, but, but let me tell you, Jesus came to show us the truth that God is good. No matter what anybody tells you, that Jesus came to show us the truth that God is good. And that, and that this isn't about a religion, that, that, that God is loving and he's full of grace. And even if you don't think you deserve it, and Christianity is not a strict uh, list of rules and regulations, but it's all about having a relationship with God. The God of the universe, the creator of all beings, wants to know you and he wants you to know him. And Jesus lived this, this great life. He went about, he served people and he was teaching them about God. And the religious leaders of the day thought that they, he was doing such a good job about teaching people about God that they, were, they decided they were going to kill him. I know, he lived, he lived such a perfect life that they wanted to kill him for it. And they actually did succeed. Three years into his ministry, Jesus was stolen away in the middle of the night and he was beaten and he was abused and he was tortured and eventually he was nailed to a cross that he would hang and die on. And then Jesus was buried in a tomb of a rich man named Joseph and a huge stone was rolled across the entrance. Scholars believe it was about 4,000 pounds rolled across the entrance of his tomb so that nobody, none of his followers would be able to get to his body. And it wasn't this small stone. It would have taken multiple grown men to roll and move this stone out of place. But here's where the power of Christianity starts. That three days later after he was killed on the cross, people came to visit his tomb, but he was no longer there. That they came and they saw that the huge stone was rolled away and that they met an angel that was there that was sitting on top and, and when they approached, he gave the greatest news of all time. He said that Jesus' body was no longer in the grave. That God had raised him back to life and now Jesus is living as God forever. And then Jesus, when he's in his resurrected form, he appears to over 500 individual people. Proven, written about. 500 different people and eyewitnesses over the next 40 days. And before he was, uh, before he was taken into a cloud into heaven where the Bible says that he is now seated at God's, the Father's right hand. And he's waiting to return again for his people. See, all of this happened as a part of God's master plan. Like Adam and Eve, they messed up our perfect world that God had created. And mankind's relationship was severed with God as they rebelled against him. But Jesus came to fix all of that. And here's the, here's the kicker. The religious leaders thought that they were killing Jesus because he had, he had he, they thought they were killing him, but, but here the kicker is that that this was always Jesus' plan, that they thought they were, they were killing him, but Jesus had chosen to give up his life, that he had the power to come off of that cross if he, do, if he wanted to, but he decided not to. 
He had chosen to give up his life. He wasn't murdered. He chose to give it up. And Jesus chose to give his life as our sacrifice so he could become our savior. The Bible says that Jesus is our sacrificial lamb, that he took the place of mankind's sacrifices to God and now his sacrifices covers humanity forever. And because of Jesus, now man has the ability to live in a good relationship with God again. That the relationship that was once severed by Adam and Eve's rebellion had been restored through the obedience of Jesus all the way to death on the cross. Now, Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. I want us to flip there this morning. Just read a little excerpt out of that. You can follow along on the screens if you don't have your Bible. That's all right. It says this. Then I saw a lamb looking as as if it had been slain. Now, this is a vision that was given to a prophet named John, and he's writing all of this down. And so some parts of this vision are a little crazy because he didn't understand what he was seeing. But... That's not the part that I want to zone in on here today. John said, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. I don't know. Those are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Um, He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he'd taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. And this is what they sang. You are worthy. And they're talking about Jesus here, the lamb that was slain. They said, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. Let me tell you, Jesus purchased you. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what your life is like. It doesn't matter what skin color you are, what kind of people you run with. Jesus bought you with his blood. And so you're valuable. You're valuable to God, and you should be valuable to humankind. And you made, you made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Jesus was the only one that was worthy to be our perfect sacrifice. He was represented as a lamb. But, but here's what the Bible goes on to say, that Jesus was killed as a lamb, but he's coming back as a lion. That Jesus is going to return as our king. And today, Jesus sits on the throne At the right hand of the Father God. He sits in heaven today as a victorious king. And that's something that we should get excited about. He's a king that went to battle for us and he won. And that's good news for you today and for me today. Because he also gives us the ability to take part in that victory. And so that leads me into my first point today. That life can be a battle. I know it. I live life too. Life can be a battle. Life can be tough. And some of you are coming in here today. You're saying amen to that because, (laughs) I don't know, you might just beat your children in the parking lot. Life can be a battle. (laughs) Car rides to church on Sunday morning can be a battle. There can be days that you just feel like you're losing. And there's days when you feel like you're winning. But this battle goes so much deeper and it goes so much further than most people even give it credit for. Because there's a spiritual battle that's being fought. And you're the prize. 
You have a spiritual enemy named Satan and he wants to destroy you. Not because you're so awesome, but because the Bible said that you were created in God's image. So you're an image bearer of God. You're the only creation in all of existence to be, to be said about that, that you were created in the image of God. And Satan hates that because he's jealous. And so he's going to try his best to destroy you, not because of how great you are, but because we bear the image of God, that we were God's favorite creation. And he's trying to constantly take you out. He's going to do the one thing he can to try to get back to God. He's going to try to destroy everything that bears God's image. There's a battle being fought over you. Sometimes you wonder why life can be so difficult, why it seems like maybe the universe is against you and things are just ruining all over. What can happen, though, is that, that, that it's not the universe that's turned against you. It's, it's that Satan and his demonic forces can be against you. And a lot of times they are. And they're going to do whatever it takes to ruin your life. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against that neighbor across the street that, that, that came a little bit too close to your uh, fence line last week. It's not, against the, it's not against that coworker that you're just trying to hold back and not cuss them out. Like, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the, hev- the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Like your battle is more than flesh and blood. Your battle is spiritual. There's a battle. There's a spiritual battle being fought over you. Life is tough, but it's tougher when the battlefield of life is hitting you and you don't have anywhere to turn. The worst thing that could ever happen to you in this world is that you would lose hope. And that's what happens to many of us. We'd, we'd lose hope and we have, we, we've got nothing to be our support when we're beaten down. But here's some good news for you today. Though you may feel hopeless, may feel helpless, my second point, number two, is that Jesus won the war. Jesus won the war. I don't know if anybody here is like a a chess player, maybe ever fiddled around with that, maybe you've given it a shot, but if you have any experience with this game, you know that the most vulnerable and at risk piece on the chessboard is what? The king. The king is the most vulnerable and at risk chess piece on the board. In the whole game, you spend trying to use your pieces to either protect the king while you're also using your pieces to attack the other uh, side's king, your opponent's king. And this king in chess, you don't want to take him out onto the board. Like you don't want to get him involved in the game, involved in the struggle, because the risk is that it would get captured and then you would lose the game. The king piece in chess is weak. He's vulnerable. But let me tell you this, in Christianity, we have a king that was captured, but he was anything other than vulnerable. And he was anything other than weak, that Jesus Jesus went into battle himself on our behalf when he was hung on the cross, but it was all part of his master plan. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was winning. 
This morning, I want you to know that you don't have a vulnerable king. You have a victorious king. You have a king that would risk it all for you, that would go into battle on your behalf and not stay back behind trying all your forces to try to protect himself. You have a king that gave his own life up for you, but he knew by doing that that he was winning. He was winning on your behalf. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 says that he forgave, he forgave us. Give him a few minutes, they'll get him calmed down. He's good. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. See, you had a debt on your life that you could never pay. But Jesus canceled that debt. And he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus nailed your spiritual debt to the cross. And he was the payment. His life was the payment. He paid your ticket. You don't owe God anymore. So you don't have to live in fear of him. You don't have to be worried about the next time that you mess up, that you have a God that's wanting to strike you down because you don't. Jesus paid the, the cost. He paid the ticket. You don't owe anything. But not only that, Jesus then did what I think is some of the coolest imagery in the entire Bible. I get fired up every time I read this. This reads that Jesus disarmed all of the powers and the authorities. That means that Satan that reigned over the world with evil, with, that, means, that means death, hell, and the grave, that Jesus disarmed all of them. They don't have a weapon to fight with anymore. And he didn't just stop there, that Jesus went on to make a public spectacle of them. And this term public spectacle, public spectacle has some serious meaning. That a public spectacle would be a word picture that people would understand to mean this. That Because in biblical times, when an army would conquer a city, the general of that army would then drag the leader, the governor, whatever, the, the king of that, that city, that opposing army, through the streets, parading him about to show that he'd been conquered. It wasn't just a, hey, we won, let's go home. No, he, he drugged the enemy through the streets to show them and to show all of the soldiers that, hey, I, we won this battle. And now picture this. This is what Jesus did. When he gave up his life on the cross, he made a public spectacle of our enemies. He conquered them. Death, hell, the grave, sin. He conquered our enemies. And he drugged them through the streets Showing them that we had, showing us that we had completely won the war. That's not a vulnerable king. That's a victorious king. That's not the that's not the sad, the the, the sad, uh, sad faced Jesus that many people will paint and and write you know write, draw about and and all these things. No, this is a Jesus that is powerful. That he lives a life of victory. Not only did Jesus conquer our enemies known as sin and death, he humiliated them by beating them at their own game. 
He took what they thought, he, he took what, what the Pharisees thought and Satan thought was going to destroy him and he used that very thing to win the war for us. We have a victorious king. And then finally, point number three, victory is available for anyone. I said anyone. You don't have to be elite. You don't have to be super spiritual. You don't have to have it all together. Some of y'all wore your church jeans today, your holy ones. That's okay. Jesus offers victory for anyone. Wouldn't it be nice to join the winning team after they've already won? Like, have you ever thought about that? I wasn't a, I was never picked first in dodgeball, believe it or not. I was never picked first in dodgeball, even worse when it came to basketball. Um, but I always thought to myself, like, how cool would it be for me to be on the winning team for once? Wouldn't it be nice to be the Kansas City Chiefs after they won the Super Bowl that you, that you get to join them after they've won? You have the assurity of victory that, that you, could join, you could join the Kansas City Chiefs after they win the Super Bowl and you still get the ring. Wouldn't that be cool? To join the winning team after they've won, after they've secured the victory? Wouldn't it be crazy to share in all the benefits of victory without having to pay any of the costs to get there? Well, good news. It is available. Jesus has already won. And he stands ready to let you have the benefits of victory even though you didn't play in the game. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 through 57 says this, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin, death, addiction, brokenness, hopelessness, emptiness, loneliness, whatever it might be that you're struggling with today, all of them have been defeated by Jesus and he wants to let you share in the benefits of victory. You don't have to live a defeated life anymore. You don't have to bow down and crumble to those things that are trying to destroy you. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, he offers you the power to overcome all of them. The benefits and the spoils of victory, they're yours. If you'll just accept them, they're yours. If you just call them your own. There was, a, there's a, there's an officer in the Japanese army. His name was uh, Hiru Onoda. And he fought in World War II. And he was stationed at this jungle post in the island of the Philipp in some island of the Philippines. And when the war was ended, he refused to believe it. Like he just, people tried to tell him. He said, no, there's no way. There's no way. There were, there were even notices that were dropped over the island by plane to let the armies know that the war was over. But Onoda chalked this up as lying propaganda. And he refused to leave his post 
Anoda stayed in his position for 29 years, surviving by eating bananas and even sometimes killing villagers because he believed that they were the enemy. People had lost track of him because he'd gone into hiding. In fact, the Japanese Japanese government declared Onoda dead in 1959 until he was finally found in 1974. And they had to bring his commanding officer in to come and convince him and tell him that the war had ended. And finally, Hiro Onoda went home and he was able to rest The war was over. He finally accepted it. And you know, I believe that some people are living in this mindset. There are are people right now that are living like they are still fighting. Struggling against the powers of addiction. Struggling against brokenness. Struggling against emptiness. Some of you in, in this room right now, you're still fighting like the war is still raging. But I want to tell you, the war is over. The war is over. You're struggling against all these things, but the powers have been disarmed. You're continuing to fight a war that's already been won, and you don't have to fight anymore. You don't have to fight any war anymore. King Jesus has won the war. You can rest. You have a victorious king. And he wants you to share in the of victory. And this is all you have to do. You just have to make him your savior and your king. You just have to join the winning team after he's won. Join the winning team. And you get all the benefits of the victory with none of the cost that he had to pay. Every battle that you're facing has already been disarmed and conquered. And victory is waiting on you. Well, thanks for joining us today. I pray that this message had an incredible impact on your life. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out online at summitview.online. We hope we get to see you on a Sunday very, very soon. But until then, have a great week.